I just want to know how it feels. I ran my first 100 mile race because I was coaching some athletes and one had signed up for a hundred mile race, but I had never run a hundred mile race. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to coach somebody to do this if I don't know what it feels like? So that's why I signed up for my first one and loved it. Hey, what's up everybody? It's John here. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fueling the Pursuit, presented by UCAN. The voice you just heard was that of Corey Waltering, one of the most inspirational and remarkable ultra-distance runners in the world today. I have to admit that I'm really impressed with Corey, not only as an athlete, but also as a person. He's living his life on his own terms, and it's just so darn exciting to meet someone who is adamant on creating a life experience that truly makes him happy. If you've read anything about Corey or listened to interviews with him, it's clear that he has a unique outlook on life and his sport. His lateral tendency is to be curious, stubborn and mindful about the world and everything happening in it seemed to fuel his passion and his ability to excel at ultra distance races. For Corey, running these ultra distances seems to be just as much about finding ways to get the most out of life as it is about finding out how fast he can run some of these trails. If you really want to know how to take on big challenges and conquer them, then this conversation with Corey is going to shed some light on how this can be done. There's just something really special about ultra distance running and what it takes to do it. And I truly believe there's a secret to being able to do it. And when that secret is discovered, how we can set one free to stretch their imagination of what really is possible when it comes to their goals and what they can achieve in life. Before we get into this episode with Corey, I do want to take a moment to introduce UCAN and this podcast to our newest listeners. UCAN is a go-to nutrition product of choice for so many elite athletes. But even UCAN knows that true success is about so much more than how you fuel your body. It's also about how you fuel your passion, your motivation, and your mindset. And that's why this podcast is going to take you inside the minds of Olympians, elite athletes, coaches, and trainers to better understand what drives them to constantly push to achieve new personal bests. Now we're so excited to have you guys on this journey with us and we really do hope that we can give you a little more fuel as you work towards optimizing your own performances, both in sport and in life. Now, on to the episode with Corey. All right, today's guest is Corey Woltry, one of the most remarkable distance runners in the world today. Earlier this year, he set the fastest known time on the 350 mile Pinhoti Trail and last year, he set the record on the 1,200-mile Ice Age Trail. A mainstay on the ultramarathon and trail running circuits, Corey has truly found his groove in these epic multi-day challenges. As a gay black man often seen racing in a Speedo and crop top, he's also been a champion for diversity and inclusion in the sport. We're excited to learn how Corey thinks about and prepares for his record-breaking runs, as well as his place at the forefront of a changing sport. Corey, thank you for being here. It's so great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, Corey, I was just saying earlier before we started, just how inspiring you are and how you're living your life on your own terms. And you're setting a good example for so many people, for all of us, really, on how to just be true to yourself and to do what you love. So excited to just pick your brain today, man, and hear your thoughts around just how you approach everything from sport to life. Yeah, awesome. This should be fun. Corey, can you tell us right now, I know that... You finished the Pinhoti Trail earlier. You had signed up for Coco Donut uh, 250, but weren't able to finish it. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're at from a training perspective right now? Are you still taking a break and recovering or are you back at it? 
today was my first run back in the training cycle for the next thing. So I took about three weeks off or so and just enjoyed life and traveled around and ate all the food and drank all the wine. And now it's time to get back to business. All right. So what is the next thing? Just, just out of curiosity, how far out are you thinking for your next right now? When you say you're back in your next training cycle, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I have a hundred mile race in the end of July, almost August, actually. So that will be fun. I'm running high lonesome 100 out in Colorado. The low point on the course is like 9,800 feet. The highest point is like 13,800 <laughs> It's 104, 106 miles. So yeah, that should be fun. <laughs> that is going to be quite a challenge, actually. It makes me wonder, we're catching you in Illinois right now, right? Do you do most of your training from Illinois or do you try to go to other locations in order to train for the races? Um, I spend a lot of time other places. I'll do quite a bit of stuff here in the off season, but then when I'm training for something specifically, I'll travel to the location I'm going to be racing in and try to put in three or four weeks of a training block there. So like for this one, I'll be heading out to Colorado in July to set up base camp at about 10,000 feet. I feel we'll get to some of these questions about preparing for the races. One of the things I really want to try to understand a little bit better from you is this kind of new emerging type of sport i feel it's still running like all these other things but the idea of fastest known times and, and these multi-day challenges and these trails that span across a state or across a country and they're very they're sort of a modern creation i feel that comes out of the technology we have now they, they might have existed before but in a really niche way but with things like strava and social media and stuff you can really participate in tracking them can you talk a little bit about well can, first can you explain how the fastest known time concept or that type of race works for people who maybe have never heard of it? Yeah. So it's definitely expanded over the last year or so. Actually, right around now, I guess, last year when everyone was getting bored of the lockdowns during COVID. So basically, there's a trail system out there, and it could be a segment or it could be the full trail. And so people are just trying to be the fastest person to ever cover that segment or the full entire length of the trail. And so it's been really awesome over the past year to have so much more interest in these because now you're seeing people go after efforts on the AT or the PCT or the Arizona Trail, and people are able to real-time track them, which has been super fun. But basically, the concept is you want to be the fastest person to do it. Once you start, the clock doesn't stop until you finish. And typically, you would go the same direction that the previous record holder has gone. But some of these trails do have a north or a southbound record. And then there's different styles that you can do it. You can either go support it which means you can have a crew with you and you can get supplies from other people while you're out there. Or you could go unsupported where you're basically just using like water from the land and then you have to carry everything else. And then you have self-supported where you could go out onto the trail ahead of time and drop supplies along the way. Or maybe if you're doing something like the AT or PCT, then you mail them to like the small post office that's somewhere out on the trail. All right. So now you even just blew me away with some details that I didn't know about the fastest known time stuff. So when you were doing something like Pinhoti Trail earlier this year, were you doing it supported, self-supported or unsupported? I have done both of mine supported so far, just because I like the fact that the lighter I can go, the faster I can move. Mm -hmm. So for me, that feels a bit more like running and racing, whereas going self-supported or unsupported would be more like through hiking. 
it kind of makes sense to me. Can I ask a quick question about what kind of racing and running were you doing before you got into the ultra distances and the trail running? Yeah, before that, I was basically racing on the track a lot. So I started in fifth grade with the 200, the 400, the 800 meters, and then ran that all through junior high, high school, even into college. And then I was at that point, I still thought a marathon was just absolutely nuts. I'm like, there is no way I ever run a marathon. Um, right. But it's like, I had a swimming background also. And then with the running background in college, I was injured quite a bit. So I bought a bike and got into triathlon and ended up qualifying for the half Ironman world championships twice before I was done with college. What? No way. Really? Yep. Uh, so, so that's pretty amazing wow so it's funny because it does feel like triathlon is the natural next thing for a lot of people they, they might be doing running as a competitive sport but you had the swimming background you went into triathlon but you kind of seem like you either got burnt out on it and what my understanding it seemed like you just lost the motivation to be competing for the triathlon but you sort of re-found that motivation when you found the trails and you found you know these, some of these longer ex more exploratory type of runs that you could do. Is that right? Yeah. Cause I moved to Colorado hoping to become a professional triathlete. And it was just funny because within being in Colorado for two months, I was just like, Hmm, you know, I really don't enjoy swimming in a pool every day and riding my bike <laughs> on a trainer or on a road every day when I was living across from the Boulder Reservoir. And it's like, you have the reservoir there, you have the trails right there. I just wasn't getting to explore any of that. And I was also hanging out with a bunch of trail runners at the time. So it just became the next logical thing. Yeah. I could see getting the bug if you're around a group of athletes that are actually doing something like that because at the end of the day, it, I mean, you, you get to spend a lot of time exploring and just discovering. And it's obviously a lot of work, but it definitely is a different type of work than what you were probably doing when you were just doing the triathlon training. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that seems very apparent and you've mentioned it in numerous things and part of it is how you choose your races and where you go. It's this idea of exploring and, and being curious about your training. And I wanted to ask you about what felt to me kind of like a, a little bit of a juxtaposition or maybe a contrariness to your desire to always have this new experience. But then on the other side, you're very competitive. Like when you talked just a little bit about doing a supported fastest known time, it's because you want to go fast. Like you want to try to break records. You want to challenge yourself from a competitive standpoint. So do you feel that your sort of desire to be doing new things and exploring new experiences makes it difficult to focus and stay committed to the competitive side of it? Or do you think they fuel each other? I think they work well together because as much as I sign up for whatever or find this new trail to go do and try to just break the record on that, I still want to be the best. So when I'm going to like for high lonesome this year, I know that since I don't live at altitude, it's going to be more of a challenge for me, but I'm still going into that like, hey, I want to do this well. And then I'm following that up in October with taking a crack at the Arizona Trail FKT, which is about 800 miles. So I like to piggyback things like that, but it's still like, yes, I want to race competitively uh, for 50 miles, 100 miles, and I just want to have these new experiences on the trails. Well, I'll say this. The thing that I think both Brian and I find fascinating about what you're saying is how mind-boggling, even as distance runners, it is to think about 
those distances that you so casually say right now. And so I have a lot of questions just about how in the world do you wrap your mind around these distances because they seem unfathomable to say it honestly, but you're doing it and you're doing it so well. So it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like to do something that's 350 miles like Penhody or almost 100 miles of Ice Age, you can't think of it as the full distance. You have to break everything down into small, just micro goals to be able to get through it. So I basically looked at what previous record holders had done each day and knew that I just wanted to finish my day ahead of where they were. But if I wasn't feeling good, then I wasn't stressed over it if we ended up coming up a little bit short. Or if I was feeling really good, then I'm like, hey, let's push on through and just put more distance on the record. But wow. honestly, it's like, it's it's not even like looking at it as one day and being like, oh, I'm going to be out here for 18 hours today or I'm going to be out here for 14 hours or whatever. It's like, OK, I need to get from point A to point B and we're going to go 10 seconds at a time. Or, you know, that's if you're in a really rough patch. But if you're feeling good, then you're like, OK. I'm going to go 15 miles and then I'm going to stop and I'm going to have that Snickers bar that I've been waiting to have. And then I'm going to go another 15 miles and oh, maybe there'll be like a burrito or something for me. <laughs> so you just have to set these little goals and like these little targets. And that's really how you break down things at the end of the day. And you yes. know, when yeah. And it's like when things really get tough out there, then you're just focused on the next 10 seconds. And that's all you need to focus on. And if you can keep moving for 10 seconds, then you just have to do it again and again and again. That's a really good concept, taking small steps or taking it in bite-sized pieces, how you take on these ultra distances. What do you think about applying that type of logic to just anything that you're trying to do in life? Yeah, I mean, it helps like with everything, whether that's school or work or whatever. I mean, you can apply that to honestly anything. I want to ask it. you about how that works for you before the race and then during the race, because you said you kind of break it down. You kind of analyze what somebody's done before and sort of that, I'm sure that helps to set your goals and set your benchmarks, set where you think your ideal situation might be. But I've read about some of your experiences, whether it's dealing with ticks in the wilderness or you've had you know on the ice age trail you turned an ankle and ended up having to walk instead of run for for days i mean and for people who don't know this is a 21 day experience that you're out there doing and so the interesting thing is in an event like that if you turn an ankle i guess you can actually just keep going because the event is long enough to make up that time later if you could just get yourself right and recover so there's a lot that changes in the middle so as you're preparing for the race you're chunking it all out but how much of it is just sort of a basic framework and idea for where you want to be? And how much are you really using to motivate you on a daily basis? Yeah, I am not a person that makes spreadsheets or anything like that. <laughs> so when I break these things down, I basically write it on like a napkin or something like that. And I'm like, okay, that's how many miles I need for each day. Here we go. We're good. I don't stress oh, about I love these it. Yeah, I don't stress about these things, you know, because at the end of the day, it all depends on how you're going to feel on that day, if you're going to be able to get the miles or not. So I, I just don't worry about that. And it's also funny because for Ice Age, for example, I didn't start planning for that until three weeks before I started it last year. And then for Pinhoti this year, I didn't decide to do Pinhoti until eight days before, after I was already down in Tennessee and was watching some YouTube videos on it. What? That's yes. crazy. <laughs> Man, I love it, but that's amazing that you have that kind of comfort with taking on those types of challenges in that way. That's amazing. 
Yeah, I love going into things being like, I don't know what's going to happen, but let's find out. Some of the longer ones that I have planned for a little bit down the road, those will Uh definitely take planning and just more effort. But that's also because there are certain times where there may be 150 mile stretches where I'm not going to be able to see my crew and stuff like that. So like the ones that I've been doing more recently, I'd say have been good learning experiences and figuring out what works for me and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, that leads to the, the idea of, of your support crew and stuff, because it's one thing to go run a marathon and maybe you have somebody who's there to help you get to the starting line or the finish line and stuff like that. But what you're doing over the course of multiple days, you're going to have to meet up with people and you're going to have just so many different touch points and knowing where people are going to be and how you're planning to get there. How do you think about that from a uh, logistic planning standpoint? Do you kind of own all of that preparation or do you delegate that to somebody else? And how do you balance the personal challenge of completing the distance with the logistical preparation aspect of planning for an eight or 21 day event? Yeah, I am not the logistics person. I basically make sure we go to the grocery store before we start and we have the food that I want to eat. And from there, the logistics are not on me. And so it's interesting because I have a few people that definitely really help with this. And they're usually on the trail the whole time with me. So driving the support vehicle on the trail or even using my social media accounts and saying, hey, Corey's going to be going through this section. Does anybody want to pace through here? Or just like all of that stuff. But yeah, so once I basically have the food picked out that I want. My job is over, except I just have to get down the trail. And then how often are you running with other people and how much are you running by yourself? Is it a very solo endeavor or do you actually find that you're running with people for a good amount of the time? I usually run with people quite a bit. It's usually uh, local people that found us through social media that heard that we're going to be in the area and they want to come out and help crew or pace or whatever. And it's been interesting because especially with Ice Age, so many people came out for Ice Age last year. That was awesome. Whereas like Pinhoti this year, I brought two crew members down with me and we ended up having about five crew people total that just stayed and paced and accrued for the whole thing. And it's a really fun way to get to know people and get to know the area and just really enjoyed it. Does everybody get locked in in terms of focused on the task at hand? the support team that's with you when you're uh, actually going through an event? Oh yeah. So the crew is always great. It's usually about the same people, maybe one or two different people. And so because of that, they've done this before. They were there for Ice Age when it's like, hey, my crew people had never even met each other before. And now all of a sudden it's like, they're all stuck in a van together for 21 days. And so there's that. And then like yeah. for Pinhody and stuff is just a lot of people that were already friends with each other that all came down and just paced and crewed and helped out. Fun. That's really cool. Can you tell us about any times when you've hit something that you just completely didn't predict and, and why having the, the support team there can help you get through it or how you navigate something that's unpredictable that hits you in, in one of these challenges? Yeah, most recently on Pinhody, I fell on day two and sprained my wrist which is not something that you'd think would happen. But yeah, so injured my wrist and 
I didn't tell my crew about it for the first day it happened just because they don't need to worry about it. It's totally fine. But by the end of like the second day, my wrist was pretty swollen. I couldn't hold on to my trekking poles anymore. And so like it was just taking my power away on basically the uphills and the downhills. But the other thing was like I also lost all function in my thumb. So I couldn't eat with my right hand. I couldn't put on my shoes and socks. I couldn't change my own shorts or change my own shirt because my wrist is just that bad. So by having this crew here, like I'd see them, you know, every couple hours or whatever. And people are just feeding me and people are changing my socks, my shoes, like all this stuff, just because like I had no function with my right hand. And so that's just something that we had no idea was even going to happen. And it's never happened to me before. But yeah, I mean, stuff like that really does happen. I imagine, <laughs> I, I, I just have this image of you getting ready and, and everybody saying like, all right, what's the worst that can happen? And falling down and hurting your wrist is not going to be on the list of the things that you're probably prepping for, right? No, it wasn't. Because like I had been dealing <laughs> with a little bit of a back injury for a while before that and everything seemed to be fixed and ready to go. So I was like, okay, the worst thing that's probably going to happen is my back gives out again or something. And that's probably going to be the problem if there is one. And my back is totally fine, but my wrist was not. When you talk about these experiences, I mean, you're choosing different races. You've got a hundred miler at a high altitude coming up. Then you've got a big 800 mile thing. This concept, I want to come back to the curiosity aspect and the uniqueness and the new challenge, because it's a big thing. You use a hashtag on all your stuff, never stop exploring and, and challenging yourself. What is it you're trying to learn or get out of the experience when you pick a new race? Yeah. I just want to know how it feels. I ran my first 100 mile race because I was coaching some athletes and one had signed up for a 100 mile race, but I had never run a 100 mile race. And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to coach somebody to do this if I don't know what it feels like? So that's why I signed up for my first one and loved it. And then I've run, eh, I guess I have run a few more hundreds after that, but now it's these longer things and it's not even necessarily like, I'm not sure if I can do it because I'm usually pretty confident that I can. I don't know if I'm going to get the record, but I'm confident that I can finish, but it's like, I just want to know what it feels like to push my body at a high level for multiple days in a row or in a hundred mile race, less than a day. And just that experience of it have you ever heard of the swimmer lynn cox the uh yeah her story is stories like that you remind me of some of these inspirational individuals that just go for it and they're out there testing their limits have you read some of these stories and and have they been an inspiration for you yeah i mean it's kind of funny because growing up i was never one that really read any sports type things and honestly I looked up to Chrissy Wellington because she is probably the most dominant triathlete that's out there I mean she never lost an Ironman world championship so like that was always super cool but other than that I didn't really even pay attention to sports that much and so I think I've always just been a curious person I'm always just like oh I wonder what it felt like or I wonder why somebody did that I think that's just in my nature what other things do you feel fuel your passion for what you're doing? What's some of the motivations, aside from your enjoyment of it, for doing these ultra trail runs? 
Yeah. So, you know, as an openly gay black man, I'd love to see more people of color in the outdoors. I'd love to see more of the LGBTQ plus community in the outdoors. And that's just one of those things that like growing up, I never really saw people of color in nature. You never saw like an REI using a person of color in their camping ads or, you know, all those things. So I honestly never thought that a career in the outdoors was something that I would have because I'm like, oh, people that look like me don't do that. So I love the fact that's what you're thinking about. And I usually don't ask all the questions or a lot of the questions, but I just want to take this conversation a little bit somewhere because it's a tough place to go in terms of talking about social issues and all this other stuff. But I think there's something really beautiful about the way that you're choosing to use your platform, Corey, to shed light on things that matter to you. What things have you been able to do outside of actually performing that has allowed you to use your platform to actually implement, not necessarily change, but to inspire change as it relates to issues that matter to you? Yeah. So after doing Ice Age Trail last year, and then also Eco Challenge Fiji that came out on Amazon Prime last fall, it was pretty wild because social media for me went from, I think, 1,500 followers when I started Ice Age, <laughs> and now I have almost 21,000 or something like that. And yes. so it's been just so fun to watch that grow but through that it's just created a lot of opportunities to speak to different either magazines radio stations podcasts different activist groups and everything and just get my story out there to help inspire other people and just talk about issues in a way that doesn't feel threatening but is still like hey this is real life and so mm -hmm. that's the really fun part about that um, earlier this morning, I just talked to an outdoor school that, you know, is for kids like, uh, well, youth, I should say, that's like ages like 10 to 21 or something like that. And just like all these really cool different opportunities that have been coming from it. So, Corey, do you get to see a lot of stories from people um, of color uh, and minorities that are being inspired by you to actually get into the sport? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people contact me through Instagram, and that's so awesome. Uh huh. Uh, is like I read all of my messages. Sometimes it takes me a while, but I still read them um, <laughs> and respond to most of them, you know. And so it's been just really awesome to see that Ice Age and then Eco Challenge really did have a positive impact on people. Can I ask you? Yeah, I think that validation is really, really important. Sorry, John, I keep jumping in. I wanted to ask about the Ice Age trail happened around the same time as George Floyd. And the last year for me has been a really eye-opening experience of getting a better appreciation for like experience of black people in America and what they're going through and the struggles and frustrations. And so it's been a, a steady theme. And it's also coincided with your emerging as this new face of fastest known time competitions and some of these longer distances. Do you feel there's opportunity for you that's been created by this to be more of a spokesperson? And is that something you're hoping to embrace as you continue on? Yeah, it was definitely interesting, the timing of all of it, because I was going to start the Ice Age Trail on June 1st last year, no matter what. So then to have the George Floyd incident happen five days before I was starting the Ice Age Trail, and it took place about an hour south of where the Ice Age Trail actually starts, it was pretty wild, just because 
at that time, it's like we had no idea what was going to be happening. A lot of the Ice Age Trail is just very small town and rural. There are a lot of really remote sections. And so because of that, I had a few sponsors that were like, hey, are you sure that you still want to go through with this? Is this uh, something that you feel comfortable or like mentally? How are you feeling? They're like, it's okay if you want to push this back. And I'm like, this is exactly the story that we need right now. We do Mm. need you know, positive stories of people of color doing great things. And I'm like, this is the time to do it. And so as like I said, I'm starting June 1st, I'm going to start. And it ended up being just a great thing. Does it change, like expand your view of what you're trying to accomplish as you enter another large event? Or do you kind of keep them separate in the sense of the race is the race and all the other opportunities that might come from this to, to try to drive you know, some needed change? I'll, I'll deal with those as they fit around the competition. It depends, I guess. Sometimes they're easy to keep them separate and other times uh, not so much. And yeah, like Pinhoti, for example, that starts in the middle of just nowhere, Alabama and ends in Georgia. And so being out there for, you know, 350 miles across Alabama and Georgia, and we're not just stopping. I mean, we're going through the night. We're out there at all the hours of the day. And that was just very interesting, especially just with how divided the country has been, you know, this past Mm -hmm. year. And then to be like, great, we're going out there and there's two black people and two white people. And here we are just going through all these small towns. And just, you know what, like it ended up being a great experience though. And there's actually a piece coming out that SmartWool's putting out shortly about my experience on the Pinhoti Trail. And so I'm very excited for that to come out. Did you learn anything new about these rural America and some of these places you've been as a result of your experience going through them in the way you did? I think that Everybody probably has a different experience when it comes to this. As far as, say, like Ice Age was absolutely amazing. The trail communities up there were so awesome. People were just super excited to see me out there, which is amazing. I mean, people are making us homemade lasagnas and homemade cupcakes and everything else. Like, it was really awesome. Same thing with Pinhoti, actually. But it's, at the same time, I feel like as an athlete on the North Face team and maybe being a little bit higher profile, I think that sometimes I maybe do have a slightly different experience than somebody else that might not be as well known or somebody that's not known out on the trail. And so that's some of the things that I'm hoping that with a bigger reach, we can change these things. My last kind of question for you about this sort of preparing for these races, you mentioned you're just starting a training cycle and today was your first run. What does training look like for you as you're preparing? Like how many hours of running, for example, are you doing, I I would say, I'm sure it varies, but on an average day, how much are you out there running in order to train for these events that you're entering yourself into? I'd say that my training is very reasonable in terms of just like overall volume. Like today I went out for an hour. So like one hour, totally fine. Once I finally get back into the swing of things, I'll probably have three runs a week that are probably two hours, and then one run a week that's going to be an hour, maybe two runs a week that are an hour, and then my weekend long runs, or they could be midweek sometimes, just depending on where I'm at, what I'm doing. Those can be anywhere from four to eight hours of running and normally back to back. So it might be like five hours Saturday, four hours Sunday or something like that. So really we're still getting 15 hours a week of training probably, but like for maintenance stuff, like I'll run eight hours a week. 
Did you do anything else to supplement that in terms of cross training or I don't know, any other activities that you found that help you to feel like you've done enough work to be ready to do 18 hours when the day comes to be out there actually really doing the event? Uh, Sit down and read a book or watch Netflix. (laughs) 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 Yeah. So uh, I don't know that you can ever like fully be prepared for some of these bigger couple hundred mile things and all that. So it's being consistent and showing up to the start line helps like the number one thing. So Corey, how much of a factor does being stubborn play into your success as an ultra runner? Because I've heard this word used a lot to describe you in a very positive way. So how important is being stubborn for you? That is probably one of my greatest qualities when it comes to ultra running. Um, just because I'm not going to stop because something hurts or I'm tired or whatever. But the other great thing about it is like when it comes to training, I also know that if I'm really not feeling a specific workout or if I'm just like overly fatigued or something like that, then I'm like, we're just going to skip this today or we're going to do something else. And so I think that's one of my other biggest qualities is even though I am extremely stubborn, I can also be very reasonable. Um, Nice. But like on stuff like Pinhoti and Ice Age, stubborn is the only way to be to get that done. I really like the idea, especially with what you're trying to do. One of the things I talk a lot about with people is just the idea of maintaining momentum. And if you're out there struggling and fighting through some workout, there's just like mentally or physically, whatever it is, it's just not, especially in a training day where you just don't have it and it's not making any sense. You could probably be doing yourself more harm by fighting through it in some cases. And it sounds like you have that sort of base mentality as well. It's like the key thing is to be keeping everything positive. And if that means taking a little break today, that's fine. It doesn't really matter. Bigger picture. We're just keeping everything going. Absolutely. There's not a single workout or a single run that you can do that is going to end up causing you to win that race or lose that FKT or whatever. It's like that just one thing does not matter. But if you make the habit of always skipping runs or always skipping that hard workout, then that's where it becomes the issue. A hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree with that. One more sort of random question, and this ties back in. It's so unique to you is this idea of being yourself and an individual as a gay black man. Of course, I'm sure you've already had to deal with this in social experiences throughout much of your life is just, you know, navigating this challenge of being yourself. But you have been known to go out in races and wearing a Speedo and a crop top, which is not your typical runner's sort of outfit when they tow the line. And I'm very fascinated by it because I know I've read the story that it kind of happened as an accident. You didn't have running shorts. And so you just went with what you had, but you sort of embraced that. What does that mean for you when you step on the line or when you choose to, to wear that outfit? Does it inspire you or what does it mean for you to be out there wearing that outfit and embracing being different in that way? Yeah. If the Speedo and crop top come out, then that means that I'm not here to play. So let's go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of like your Tiger Woods red shirt thing. You know, he wears that red shirt on Sundays. He's like, I'm closing out the tournament. You're like, hey, I'm going to do something crazy today. I got the crop top and Speedo. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. You know, I love it, man. I love it. Well, Corey, Can you tell us a little bit about any other projects you're working on, or is there anything else you'd like to highlight or or call out that you've got going on as we head into the summer here? 
Yeah, so I don't really know what I'm doing this summer just because um, not really sure what all is going to be able to happen with COVID and things finally starting to loosen up and not. But yeah, I do have a couple fun projects. I was actually hired to be a spokesperson for a couple different cities for like, you know, visit such and such and visit such and such. So I have two of those coming up that I'm really excited for. And then I was also selected as a Ford Bronco ambassador. So I just got my new Bronco a month ago. And basically, I'm going to be driving around the country taking pictures in a Bronco. That's uh, that's awesome. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> that's so. Congrats, man. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. All right, and where should people go if they want to connect with you and and be able to follow you on your journey, uh, see all the Ford Bronco pictures? Yeah, Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Just Corey Waltering on Instagram. Perfect, Corey. I'll leave the final words to John, but I really want to thank you for coming on and speaking with us. You're doing something that I think I only learned about it because of you, in all honesty. I think it was a world that I wasn't exposed to. And I find it really amazing what you're doing and the way you're doing it. And so I just want to wish you the best of luck in your training. I I hope you go out there and crush it on your 100 miler this upcoming summer. And I will definitely be watching because I'm a big fan now. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much, Corey. This has been so cool just to connect with you. I feel like there's a lot of other stuff to take this conversation. But the biggest thing, I think there's a lot of opportunities for some key takeaways about your mindset. So thanks so much for just sharing your time with us. Best of luck. And we'll be cheering for you for sure, man. So keep up everything that you're doing. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Fueling the Pursuit presented by UCAN. For both athletes and active people, controlling blood sugar is the key to optimizing focus, performance, and recovery. Thankfully, UCAN has developed a patented ingredient to deliver long-lasting energy while stabilizing blood sugar levels. So to properly fuel your pursuit both with the right nutrition and with the right food for thought, make sure to visit UCAN.co forward slash podcast to subscribe to our podcast show to see our current lineup of upcoming guests, and of course, to learn more about UCAN's amazing products.